Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. I am thrilled to be with you today as we explore the commercial real estate segment of self-storage, along with how to use self-sustaining construction. Scott Crone is a Chicago native whose career in architecture began in 1991 by pursuing his Master's of Architecture from the Illinois Institute of Technology. He is the founder of the Coda Management Group that facilitates commercial real estate investments and the one-stop self-storage. So, Scott, take us into the program today by sharing an experience from your formative years that helped you to be who you are today. I appreciate that, Alan. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to this. I would have to say growing up, my mother was from Denmark. She was born in Denmark. And so she had an affinity or a knowledge of Legos. And so she and my father introduced those to me very early on. And so a lot of my formative years was just as a kid and doing imagination and designing and creating and building. And that has certainly translated into my life today in terms of all those same elements go that I began developing as a young child and building Legos has continued today in real life. So form and shape, huh? Absolutely. And, uh, design. Well, what a wonderful way to be introduced into the world of, uh, of form and shape. So yeah, has Legos always been in Denmark? It's a family and, business that was originated really? okay. in Denmark and the original Legoland is oh. on the West Coast. Oh, I knew it was in Denmark now. I didn't know that it had originated there. Well, Scott, tell us how to invest in distressed assets in order to make profits in real estate. Well, I think for us, the key point is the acquisition. You make your money on the acquisition. And so our definition of distress doesn't mean that, you know, necessarily that, you know, it's in foreclosure or anything along those lines. It could be the fact that it's not being utilized to its best potential. So for instance, the properties that we bought in Milwaukee or Chicago or Toledo or Dayton and even Louisville, each of those locations, it was being underused. Dayton was completely empty. Chicago was totally empty. Uh, Milwaukee was on the way to being empty. In each of those situations, we were able to change the use, improve the buildings, and then therefore increase the rent and then turn it from quote unquote a distressed into a performing asset. Were those self-storage units? None of them were. None of them were. So we converted each of those buildings into self-storage. So we acquired these buildings anywhere from $11 to $13 a square foot, which is well below replacement cost. And so, you know, we just, we, could, we can't even build the structures for that price. And then from there, we were able to develop them and build them and then take it to the next level. Did you convert them to self-storage? Or We did. Okay. Uh, every single one of them. Well, what kind of facilities were they? Oh, each of them were vastly different. So Chicago was originally the Lincoln Log Factory. You were talking about Frank Lloyd Wright earlier. And Lincoln Logs were developed mm-hmm. by Frank Lloyd Wright's son. And so that was the original factory for that. And so that was a three-story building in, in the heart of a community that was on an old train line that got converted into a city of Chicago green commuter walkway and, tra- and running trail throughout the city. Milwaukee was an eight-story, originally the first fireproof building in Milwaukee. And it's been everything from a car dealership to a Harley-Davidson dealership to cold storage and banker file storage. And we converted that one and we received historical tax credits. 
to the tune of a couple million dollars for converting it into a national park. Toledo was a medical warehouse where they kept files and we converted that into self-storage. Dayton was originally some sort of warehouse in the downtown area and it had no ability, no parking. And so we were able to convert that into self-storage. And then our Louisville project, it was originally storage for the Kentucky Derby. They used to, it was a candy factory. And uh, most recently, it's been somewhat of a multi-flex space, but then also just a big storage um, building. And we're converting that into self-storage. Well, fascinating. So is that your primary mode of operatus, I guess, is buying underutilized properties and converting them? Or are there other ways and means that you go about getting into self-storage units? Well, we are buying, we're buying an existing facility right now, but it's underperforming. And so, you know, it's, it's, it just hasn't been managed fully for the last few years. And so we're, we're looking to take that and improve it. We're, we're also uh, expanding two facilities and then we're assisting another client with uh, building a brand new facility. And so those are things that we're, we're pursuing across the board. Well, what are the three mind-blowing facts about uh, self-storage investing? Well, the biggest thing that I learned, I mean, my, my background was in multifamily. And when I graduated from college, I began getting my master's in architecture. And I was fortunate enough to be working on actual projects with my professor that were you know, up to 400 units and $100 million of projects. So for me, self-storage is a more, it's a dumbed-down version of multifamily. It's, you know, it's apartments without toilets. But it's much more of a business. It's much more of a retail business. And it's a pre- predictable mis- business because of the fact that you can look and study the demographics and understand it and see there's, there's traditional buying and spending patterns that we can, we can rely upon to make sure that our product will be you know, utilized. So we can look at supply and demand and see if there's unmet demand and know if there's a good market or a bad market. The second thing which, which really blew my mind away was the fact that I went back and studied each of the major recessions. And a lot of people have deemed it recessionary proof. I don't think there's anything that's proof in real estate, but I do think it's recessionary resistant, just how well it's performed in each of the last four major recessions. The occupancy is on the, on the whole above 90%. Even during the recessionary markets, it dropped slightly and then it rebounded aggressively. So you know, they're, with the, the buying patterns and the spending patterns of the American culture, it's a very consistent platform within real estate. And I would, I would argue the most consistent platform. And I would say the third thing is that within that model, 90% occupied across the board, but only 10% of Americans use utilize self-storage in the fact that it's well over a billion, closer to a $40 billion industry. And so in, in continuing to grow, some experts believe it's going to become a $100 billion industry because of the way in which the pandemic has altered the way people utilize their homes and their businesses. And so during the last pandemic, each of our facilities, we opened up four and we were able to expand and grow during the pandemic. You said that only 10% of Americans make use of self-storage. Is that 10% at any given time or is that 10% in total there? In total. So there are more self-storage than McDonald's and Starbucks combined. But for instance, until having self-storage, owning self-storage, I'd never utilized self-storage before. Whatever I needed, I had in my garage and you know, I didn't have the need for another space. But there's, there's four drivers really for self-storage and they all typically resolve around transition and difficulty and change, whether it be divorce, displacement, death. And along those lines, people are going in dislocation. So if someone has to move or you know, college kids, you know, the pandemic came and they had to put their stuff into self-storage right away. 
or someone dies and you don't want to deal with it right away, you can put their stuff into self-storage while you clean out their home to, and then address it, your parents or divorce. You know, there's, there's a lot of pain and a lot of challenge that people don't want to immediately have to deal with. And it gives people a way to you know, address the challenges in their life without having to deal with all of the hardship at one time. But 50% of our customers, because we're in more urban markets, are also businesses. So it's just not individuals that are utilizing it. It's also businesses. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steetalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. What's the average length of occupancy in any particular unit? Three years. Yeah. I wonder how that compares with multifamily. I'm thinking it's probably not much difference. It's very close, yeah. you know, and I think that multifamily could be longer, you know, in the city where you have rent control and those sorts of things that people would tend not to move because, you know, then they have to pay a greater amount in rent. But in those cases, I would argue that self-storage becomes more important because, you know, people's expanding their families grow, then they're going to need more space. Yeah, for sure. Well, what are the four proven passive investments? Well, what we look at is, you know, how we can alter or enhance the way in which people can improve their yield without necessarily increasing the level of risk. So the first thing we look for is, you know, what is the supply and the demand of the neighborhood to make sure that we're not going into an overly aggressive market. The second would be that we can model that out and making sure that we're buying well below replacement cost and so that we have a competitive advantage against our competition. So if we can convert a building at 60% of the cost of a new building, then we will do that. The third thing is we look for advantages within the capital stack within the tax structure so that we can utilize our investors' alternate investment strategies in order to enhance their rate of return. You know, when we model it, we don't include that, but those are strategies that we look for. For instance, as I mentioned, we did historic tax returns. We did historic tax credits that benefited our investors. We sold off cell towers that benefit our investors. We have done opportunity zones. And so we were one of the first ones to do opportunity zones. We, we discovered that our, our site was in one. And so before we acquired it, we asked our investors, would this be of interest to anybody? And we had a, a few raise their hands. And so we created an opportunity zone for them. And now they've been able to shelter their capital gains. And you know, over 10 years, they will diminish completely. And while the value of the asset continues to grow, they won't be taxed on that. So it's a very incredible, powerful tool. And then the next one is the cost segregation. You know, we, we were able to force a lot of depreciation on the front end and create more tax shelters for our investors. So within each of those four different strategies, we're looking to reduce risk, but also increase the rate of return for our investors, whether it be returning cash through tax credits or, or paying less in taxes because of depreciation or uh, sheltering the capital gains. So those are the, the strategies that we implement. Well, excellent, excellent strategies there. That takes time. Um effort and knowledge and information. So how do you come by all that time, effort and energy and expertise? <laughs> yes, I would spend way too much time in the office or, you know, <laughs> so, but, you know, I, 
my main role within the company is to making sure that I understand these things. We've assembled a great team. You know, we have our director of sales and acquisition. We have our director of construction that can really focus in on what they need to do there. That gives me the ability to plan and try to you know see what's coming down the horizon and, and making sure that we're, we're positioning ourselves. So when it came time for the opportunity zones, I you know, I attended a conference on family offices and there was rumors in the crowd about opportunity zones because it had literally just been talked about and the, the publication just came out within the tax code about it, but it was only three quarters of a page. And so, you know, there was a lot of whispers and misinformation and guessing and hoping and fear about it. So I, I literally just picked up the phone and called the IRS and, you know, because no one else could answer the questions. And, and honestly, they couldn't answer the questions because they hadn't come up with the rules and regulations, but they gave me guidance as to, you know, how to shoot down the middle of the fairway to make sure that we were good. And it turned out that the advice they gave us was appropriate. And so they said, you know, if you model this after self-directed IRAs, you should be good, which is what we did. And, you know, we were, you know, knock on wood, we were, <laughs> let's go back and change things. But, you know, that's how we, we went forward yeah. with it. Okay. So a lot of teamwork uh, goes into the projects there. Absolutely. Well, how do you live a full life? And you have specifically three tips for that experts uh, swear by. Well, you know, for me, I'm never satisfied with where I am. I always want to improve and grow. And I've been involved with some different people in their business who who don't share that same belief. And so we really focus on making sure that we have people within the company that do want to grow and and improve and, and succeed, not just professionally, but personally. So, you know, one of the things that I'm really focusing on now is transformation. So I, I began embarking on a two-year program specifically about transformation and uh, to develop my leadership skills. And so, you know, everything that a lot of people say, well, what, what books are you reading about self-storage or what are you reading about, you know, business and things? And then to me, I'm, I'm reading more about leadership. I'm leading, reading more about, you know, focusing on myself in order to grow, to make sure that I'm performing the best that I can do, which will then translate into those other areas. So I, I always encourage people to continue to grow, to research, to, to focus in on you know, new elements that they can learn in their life. And part of that is being a willingness to explore and develop and grow. You know, since college, my roommate and I at the time, we said we want to always do one new thing a year. So we're constantly looking to see what that new thing could be. So that we're not getting stagnant and bored and just enjoying life to its fullest. So those are a couple of things that I would focus on. Well, excellent. It's kind of a bummer, isn't it? To never be satisfied. <laughs> but I have that same problem. It's, uh, yeah, just always went to grow and explore a little bit more. But of course, that's what gives life its spice and its interest. Absolutely. Well, Scott, tell us how we can get in touch with you and learn more about you and connect with you. Well, I appreciate it, Alan. Thank you very much. And for having us on the show, the best way, I mean, we have, we just started our own self-storage company. We launched it this spring. It's called One Stop Self-Storage. So if you want to see what we've been doing, it's the word one stop self-storage.com. But if you want to reach us, the best way is info at coda, C-O-D-A-M-G for management group.com. That's info at coda, M-G.com. And Alan, if anyone references this show, we will include with them a feasibility report from one of our projects that we've done historically that we can see it's like a 175 page report. You know, if you're having trouble sleeping, this might be a good tool. And, but otherwise, it's a, it's designed to not only analyze that market, but shows what's going on overall within the general nationwide 
uh, the self-storage industry and how that compares to this marketplace. And so it's, it's a great educational tool. And we will send that report to anybody who reaches out and wants to learn more about self-storage. And uh, they can read that. And if they have questions, they can feel free to follow back up with us and we'd be more than happy to answer them. Well, sounds like an excellent report, informational and educational there. Well, Scott, we have one last question. And would you please share with us one of your most difficult setbacks in life? And how did you come through that time? And what did you learn from that experience? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a big loaded question. I, I had a business associate who, who did not see eye to eye in terms of how things needed to be handled within the company from a financial point of view. And it was the setback that I'm, eight years later, I'm still dealing with. So it, the thing that I learned about it is, you know, when something happens to you, you can take two roles. You can be a victim or you can be someone who takes responsibility of it and moves forward. And early on in that process, there's a, an element of shame that could uh, be associated with that, that, you know, these things happen to you. But I chose at that point in time to, instead of being a victim, to really look forward to say, hey, this is going to be a milestone of growth and change for our company. And I, I broke down the entire company and reestablished all new systems. My systems caught it, but I figured that we had to be better. And at that point in time, I restructured the entire company. And we went from a company that had a couple projects here in the Chicagoland area to now we're everywhere from Illinois to Maine, and I'm working all the way down to Florida. And so, you know, we've grown tremendously during that period of time. But, you know, we've, we're still, I'm still dealing with that situation eight years later and, and trying to get move beyond it. But unfortunately, that, that person is, doesn't see life the same way. Yeah. That's interesting that you mentioned shame because that is such a toxic element. And I mean, all of us deal with shame in some way, shape, or form, but it certainly can be a killer. And if we don't just face it and deal with it, it does indeed do a lot of damage to us psychologically and can hinder our well-being and our growth and development. So thanks for pointing that out. And Scott, I appreciate you being with us today. Enjoyable conversation. And you obviously have a load of wisdom to share with individuals. So thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.